great you are indeed, God. You are the name above all names, worthy of all of our praise, God. God, just so thankful, Lord, that uh, we have the privilege to gather as believers this day, the Lord's day. Father, we we gather for a purpose. We come to, to celebrate the God who is alive and well today, working mightily. And uh, Father, we're just asking that uh, you would be honored today. Praying, God, um, through the sharing of our lives and through the preaching of your word, to the praise, through everything that's going on today, that men, women, young, old, everybody, God, would be drawn to their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I'm praying that in this gathering, we would make much of you, Jesus. I'm praying that in our individual lives, as, as, as we part, you know, both the, the scattered and the gathered, Lord, I pray that we would make much of you, Jesus. I pray that uh, from this body, Lord, that we would uh, go forth. We would, uh, we would be worshiping our Lord and we would be making disciples, answering the call of God in all of our lives, Lord. So be lifted high this day. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your everlasting love, your kindness, your compassion, your justice, your holiness. God, we just praise you for who you are. Your son's holy and perfect name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, excited to uh, be here with you today and gather with the body. Um, we're going to uh, be having some, uh, some testimonies today, but uh, just to give you a recap, uh, so we're in this time of transitioning all of our life groups. Uh, we, uh, last week I preached on the passage from Luke to give you basically the dynamics of, of all of our, uh, the DNA of all of our life groups. And it's really looking at the life of Christ and seeing three things clearly. We saw that up, in, out dynamic in his life and how that was just completely balanced in his life. He had that up aspect where Jesus was always connected to the Father. And he was always sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. And he was, I mean, that was a priority for him. He only saw what the Father was doing. That was the up aspect. And in the in aspect, we saw that he had this deep, connected relationship with those around him, his disciples. And even... Even within the 12, he had the three. It was this, this just deep, intimate relationship and growing. And also, the last thing being the out aspect, where Jesus, the, the Son of God, God in the flesh, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He went, he went out into a broken world and ministered and loved on people and welcomed them into a relationship with himself. And as we had talked about, I mean, all of our life groups are going to resemble that thing. As we look at the life of Christ, we're praying that, that, we're praying that every life group would be built on that, that there would be an up, in, out aspect uh, balanced out. And with that, I wanted to bring up uh, three couples uh, today um, that are going to just kind of briefly talk about each uh, different dynamic and, and how that's worked in, in their life group. So I'm going to have uh, Ash and Karen come up, uh, Catlin and Candace and Cody and Sarah, and if we could just welcome them. Woo! All right. Yeah, just going to give them some few minutes here to share. Um, I'm talking about the up aspect because the life group that we've been in, um, actually the Carpenters, um, it's been on Sunday night. And uh, so, you know, we'd have church and have a little nap time with the three-year-old and then go to the Carpenters and have life group. Um, and the cool part about it is, is we had worship there that I've, I've never experienced. I'm, I'm a details person. I love checklists and checking them off. And I'm just, I, I, I have a mind for the details and I'm very organized. And there, um, like their seven-year-old son is playing drums. Their teenage daughter is playing electric guitar. Our three-year-olds are dancing. And, you know, we got the words up on their big TV. And it's just in, in my, well, when, when I first experienced it, I'm like, this is chaotic. Like, what is going on? We can't focus on the Lord. Get those kids to sit down. I didn't say that, thankfully, but after I got used to being there, I was like, this is beautiful. I mean, this is, you know, God's kids. I mean, we're all his kids, and they're dancing. They're just, you know, totally uninhibited. And I'm like, man, I I should probably be dancing in the middle of the room. I mean, we're singing praise to our Lord. And it was just, um, I'm actually, I don't lead any part of their uh, worship in the life group. I just 
sit back and, and enjoy it. Um, and just to get participate with the rest of the body. Um, it's kind of one of those rare occasions where I go to an event where I'm not leading worship if there's worship there. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it's been some of the most beautiful times of worship um, that I've ever experienced. I'm just sitting on my friend's living room couch. Um, So I just want to say whatever worship looks like in your life group, um, just be open to that and take that from a details guy. Um, It's really, it's awesome. It was a gift of the Lord to to my heart. And uh, I'm Catlin. This is my wife, Candice. Um, I'm going to be doing the in part of life groups. And um, at the beginning of our group, we had a good discussion about how in order to serve the community and be part of the community, you have to be willing to accept help. And um, I think a lot of times we let our pride get in the way, and we don't allow anyone to help us out, and we don't ever ask for help. So we actually got to ask for a lot of help because uh, shortly after starting the life group, uh, I deployed to Afghanistan for nine months. And um, when I left, we didn't even know we were pregnant yet. And, you know, obviously we have a beautiful little girl now. But while I was over there, our life group stepped in and offered Candace maternity clothes and books and advice and as Candace had said last week, transformed our office into uh, a nursery. And um, they just were such an influential part of our life. And we were able to accept that help and see the spirit move through the community through that sort of grace. And uh, it was such a blessing. When I got home from Afghanistan um, during the redeployment ceremony, I, you know, they marched us into the gymnasium and we're all standing there and just looking for your family members and everything. And I look up and there's my family it's my life group, and they had signs that said, Cornerstone loves Catlin, and it was a very beautiful moment, and I you know, found my wife and my little girl. Well, my little girl wasn't born yet, but um, it, was, it was an amazing moment for me, and I was just very blessed by the life group, and the in aspect is essential, and it's something you won't see in a regular Bible study. So. Hey, I'm Cody, and this is my wife, Sarah, and we're uh, going to talk about the out um, with our life group. We, uh, we did have some musical talents in our group, so it was kind of fun to, to be able to have that. And so we kind of wanted to take that out. And so we went to the Pioneer Home. Um, and for those of you who don't know the Pioneer Home, it is, it's a, a retirement home for the elderly. And there's some incredible people there that have really had a lot uh, to do with our state and, and have really had a lot of the, the deep history um, that our state has. And, and they're, they're there, and I think they're lonely. And so we really wanted to, to take that out. Uh, to them and take the message out to them too. So we we uh, all gathered up and and, and kind of caravaned over there and um, decided to bring a couple guitars. So Ash did lead on that one, and uh, we had another guitar. Uh, Paul Paul was helping lead on that, and then we the rest of us just sang. We had some lead sheets, and um, it was really cool. the The people there just re- uh, received it really well. So and. Um, the fun part of that was is that we could take our kids. And um, so we, we worshipped and sang some hymns and some songs. And um, we all sang while they were eating their supper. And then when they were finished, they would just, you know, they were sitting and listening. And one of the ladies in our small group thought to bring along flowers and thought it would be fun for us to take them out. And so then we, she had them cut up so each of the kids could take them out to the people that were sitting at their tables. And, um, and I think for us, you know, you go and you go out and you expect to be blessing people and, and you just look forward to that. And that blessing is multiplied back on yourselves and your families. And, um, our kids still talk about that day and how wonderful that was to be able to give those flowers and how, you know, like there was this one old man that really just touched some of the kids and, and they still talk about him and about how he had stories to tell them. And, you know, and that legacy then goes on with our children and, um, and so then they have the, they can earn that heart of going out and then they so enjoy going out and, um, worshiping by loving other people. And that is such a huge part of life groups. Thank you so much. So here we have a living, uh, you know, just living a demonstration of, 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 of what, what this looks like. And, 
Um, like I said last week, uh, it's not that we're trying to mold every uh, life group into looking in a certain way. I mean, this is the only thing. Every life group is going to share this commonality of, of looking at the life of Christ and reflecting us up and out. But in terms of what it's going to look like, it's going to be different, you know. And uh, uh, we're just praying that uh, the, the creative hand of God would be unleashed and that, um, that we would be making disciples and we'd be reaching out. We would be um, even just tapping into our existing relationships and sharing the gospel and praying that we would just see salvation, praying that we would see baptisms, praying that we would see, you know, even our life groups just celebrating the Lord's Supper together and, and doing life together as a prayer. And I know that many of you are, are in some kind of existing group and, um, you know, and we're just praying that, uh, that as a whole body that we, w- we, would be, we would be active in this and we'd be connected and uh, we would move forward together in that. Amen. Um, so with that, I'm going to invite, uh, uh, hand this over to Pastor John Patton, who's going to come up and uh, deliver the word for us here. Thank you. We got it? Thank you. I didn't, I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> so you're asking, uh, why is not Pastor Brad here this morning? He was to be here delivering the third of three messages on life groups. And uh, then it was going to be done with that series and uh, on to other things. And actually, I'm here to del- deliver the third of four messages on life groups I ended up talking to Brad yesterday at just about noon, and uh, some of you who don't know, I think it was three weeks ago Friday, he had two new knees uh, installed in Seattle, and he was doing great guns until Thursday when uh, his therapist saw him walk in without the walker and thought, this guy's ready to go, we're going to make some hay here today. He extended himself too much, and by Friday morning was in deep pain, lots of swelling and pressure, and lost considerable range of motion. He says, I cannot come and preach. I think there's only one way Brad knows how to preach, and that's pacing back and forth. And perhaps God saved him with this little setback, so he wouldn't have put two hours of heavy walking in. This morning, so he'll be back in a week or two, and uh, delivering that third message that we're also eager to hear. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this blessed morning. For this church body that I am looking at, it is a blessing to be here, to know that we serve a living, risen, Almighty God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak today. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I have been part of a life group now for, I think we're in our 13th, going on our 14th month. Uh, We started just over a a year ago, and I want to just take a couple minutes and tell you a little about it. We do have the perfect life group. We want you to know that. So if you pattern your life group after ours, We'll all be perfect. I'm here to tell you, if for no other reason that I'm a part of it, it is not a perfect life group, and I don't think there is such a thing until we get to glory and we spend eternity with Him, then we'll be experiencing perfection. Our group, let's see, seven households, I believe, as I last counted, uh, 12 adults, nine children. We meet once a week at about 6 o'clock for dinner. We uh, do a lot of sharing. We uh, We share prayer requests. We spend some time in prayer. We go to the Word. Sometimes we're studying a study. We're presently in Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. And uh, we do as many other things as we can. What we find is that we are totally frustrated with those two or two and a half hours, one night a week. It just is not enough, and we're looking for more. So our men meet as a band of brothers on Thursday morning for breakfast or coffee at 6. Uh, 
uh, about every other week, our ladies are meeting for some casual prayer and sharing time on Saturdays. And on the other week, they're upstairs in my office Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock in prayer. We're still looking for more time. It does not seem to be adequate for sharing life together. With the coming of life groups to Change Point, Change Point is embarking on... Did I say... Thank you. Who is it that confused me? I saw a couple people come in here that I used to know at Change Point. Thank you. My wife and I did spend two years there, and so, see, what other excuses do I have? (laughs) I work here (laughs) with you folks. With the coming of life groups at Cornerstone, and I, I shouldn't even say that, but now I have to. It hit me, you know, Cornerstone, we could have a shorter name. You're going to know. When I grew up, we could call ourselves the Stoners. No, I don't think so. Change is coming to this church body. We will not be the same once we enter into doing life together in small groups. We also know that major change is in progress out of the, outside the doors of this church building and outside the doors of all church buildings in this city and in our country, including Change Point. Major change is underway, and it's my conviction that I don't believe that we are going to successfully negotiate the change that's out there in the world without the change that's coming on the inside. We absolutely need it. We need each other. We need to take on life in this manner. So we're going to talk about life groups this morning. Brad gave me permission to preach his four points. I said, no, God's given you a message. The church needs to hear it in a few more days or weeks, whenever you can bring it. But I'm going to ask two questions as we move into this life group discussion related directly to the life group paradigm. First question, why is it such a challenge for us as 21st century Christians to identify with or comprehend the paradigm of the first century church? Now, do you ever catch yourself reading in Acts, looking at what the New Testament church experienced what they did, what they were up against, and said, weren't those wonderful people back then? But you know, this is the 21st century, and I, I just can't quite identify with it. Why is that so? Well, the quick answer would be, because almost everything about our culture moves in direct opposition to the nature of true life in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? What we set out to do within the body of Christ is directly opposed to the direction that our culture is going. There's a reason for that. We pointed this out before. And that is Satan has been loosed for a time in this world and he has a plan for us. And it's to bring us down. So our culture is going that way. And the church is going, needs to go that way. I want to take us to Acts. I'm going to read considerable here. Because I think it's very important to the discussion and to answering the questions. I'm going to read Acts 6. Actually, the entire chapter. It's a short one. Through the first verse of the seventh chapter. And then... 754 through 83. Very important story here coming right out of the first century church. And it's about a familiar person named Stephen. 
or Stefan, take your pick. I'm not going to read his message. You can read that again on your own, but it's a powerful lead up to what is the gospel of Jesus Christ all about. Acts 6, in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Must not be just a wimpy little job. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from, among, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it were, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against him, his wisdom, or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak with words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and, sis- and fathers, listen to me. And then he went on with that magnificent message. I'm going to move to the 54th verse of chapter 7 and read from there. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Can we identify with that? No. Imagine, we're the first century church. 
we've had tremendous growth in just the last few weeks or months. Our numbers are even up to 3,000. And our pastor, Chris Chaw, comes to us. He actually comes and meets with the elders and he says, men, I'm really apologetic for even bringing this, <clears throat> bringing this up. But I have to say, along with the growth of this church body, there are many, many more Koreans in attendance as well. And there's a problem. We're trying to distribute food to take care of those who are needy. But some of our Korean widows just are not being fed. In fact, my own grandmother is one of them. And I think we need to address this. So the elders take it to prayer and discussion, and they come up with the reality from the Lord that they need to assign this job, this position, this responsibility to make sure that all that are in need are being fed. So they choose seven deacons. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are godly men, who take this responsibility seriously. And then for some reason that only our enemy would know, others on the outside are worked up. Supposedly some who have, have a stake in the history of the church. And they start to accuse our deacons of ministering falsely, of preaching a false word. And then we hear that one of our deacons is taken out and stoned to death. And not only that, but these terrorists are going from door to door and slowly some of you are disappearing, never to be heard from. Or at least for long times where you've been hauled off to prison. Men and women. Is there any wonder we can't identify with this? What's our response in America? We'll protest. We'll stand for our rights. We'll march on the city hall. We'll get the law involved. And we stand up against this. Now this is not wrong. For we live in a wonderful country that has a system that we can go to to defend ourselves so that we have freedom of speech, freedom to worship, there is a problem, and that is we do not identify with adversity. And when we read the Scripture, we see that adversity is going to come. It's already coming. There are places in the world where adversity and persecution and death, death because of faith is more prevalent now than it's ever been in the entire history of mankind. How many of us would sign up for the life in the 21st century if it involved one of our deacons being publicly stoned? If it involved our brothers and sisters being dragged to prison? We probably wouldn't. We'd protest, boycott, whatever. We will make sure that we can hang on to what we have known. Okay, that's dealing with question number one. Why is it so hard to deal with the first century church? So how about question number two? Very related, but more to today's focus on life, life groups. Why is it so hard for us to imagine doing life together as the guts of our 21st century faith in Jesus Christ. And we have said that as church leadership, this is the rock-solid meat and potatoes of our life in the church, living out the truth. Why is it hard for us to identify or to imagine? The quick answer, because we have minimal understanding of several things from Scripture. 
I'd like to review four of those areas where we have minimal understanding. First of all, the actual nature of the church body. How often do we get up in the morning and say, Yes, Lord, I am a part of the body of Christ in Anchorage. Or I am a part of the local neighborhood body of Christ at Cornerstone. We don't think in those terms. If anything, we get up on Sunday morning and we think, Ah, today I get to go to church. Have you ever read anything about going to church in the Scripture? It's not there. We don't go to church. We wake up the church. When we wake up in the morning, we are the church. We go to join with others from the church and worship and share and praise God and deal with our heartaches and our challenges. We are the church. Did you know that the church is likened to an actual physical body with many and various body parts, hands, feet, elbows, shoulders, starting to sound like a children's anatomy book, ears and voice and nose and toes and teeth and tongue. You're saying, John, you forgot something. I didn't forget the head. None of us are the head. Note that none of us Members of the body is the head. Scripture tells us emphatically that Jesus Christ is the head of His body. He's the head of this local body. It is He that gives directives to us. His body. We are His presence here on earth to do what He would do if He were physically here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll, I'll read a few various verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the 12th verse, notes on the body here. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, unity, oneness, togetherness. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Well, At my church, I have done such and such. No. That's not the way it works. God puts the body together as He wants them. Verses 24b through 26. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Life groups. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. We are the body. He is the head. And we are determining. We have, we have come to realize from Scripture and from looking at the early church that to really function in the body, we can't do it with 600 or 1,000 or 3,000 people but we can have small, intimate groups who carry out this ministry together. Okay, second area where we have traditionally had minimal minimal understanding, and that is the family life within the body of Christ. Now, family life is not as hard for us to comprehend. For some reason, the church is a family. <clears throat> that concept is a little more frequently used. Ephesians three fourteen and 15. 
For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 1 Timothy 3:14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. <clears throat> that said, a life group is not a special interest group. Can you imagine 10 Max Bolins who meet on Thursday night? Every one of them has a skid steer and they get together and they ooh and ah over their skid steers and they might even have a race around a little track and see who can load or offload something faster and sit down and have prayer and go home. Max knows that's not a life group. Or how about a PAC, a political action group that all plan to vote a certain way? Or how about Burger King? Or was it Burger King that used to have that slogan, have it your way? I want it my way. If I'm going to be involved in a life group, if I'm going to submit to a bunch of other people, I want to be sure that I've got it my way. Not a life group. A life group family is not a dozen young single adults who all walk their dogs in the same park or a half dozen 15-year-old boys trying to figure out life together or a number of couples who prefer not to have children or a bunch of grandpas and grandmas who will no longer expose their keepsakes to potential breakage. Those aren't life groups. We are family. We are a mix of whomever God puts together to experience life together. We don't pretend to be family for a few weeks and then move on. Neither do we go AWOL for a period of time and then show up for dinner because I think Grandma's serving apple pie. We share life with each other. We listen. We are transparent. We care and sometimes cry together. We sacrifice We stand together through windstorms and we'll sometimes take a bloody nose, sometimes in-house and sometimes maybe from someone down the street. But a life group is family. Third, we have minimal understanding of lifestyle Christianity. Our culture has done a tremendous job of teaching us to check our faith, our Christianity, at the door. And we comply. They say, keep it out of the workplace. We are not to exercise our faith in school. Mixing of faith and politics is taboo. By the way, some of us were privileged to spend about two and a half hours with Vody Bakum at a breakfast meeting on Friday morning. An amazing presentation encouraging emphatically that the church not back down. So many of the things leveled at the church and at pastors hold no weight at all. There's an assumption because someone says something who is in a public position and threatens the church that we have to say, oh my goodness, we'll lose, they'll lock our doors. They'll shut us down. Okay, I better not preach about the name of Jesus. We cannot listen. And we are to cast no judgment on anyone who does or lives in contrast to the truth of Scripture. And now that is becoming hate speech. We must not buy that line. Most Muslims outdo the average Christian by miles when it comes to living out their faith. Have you realized that? Have you wondered why does their faith go right with them into politics, into the business world, into everything a Muslim does? Goes his faith.
The Muslim is unashamedly controlled by his faith. Isn't that, you know, ironically, isn't that the way Christianity is meant to be lived? Where does it ever say that we check our faith at the door? That we have this separate secular life so we can coexist with the world. And then on Sunday mornings or in the evening when I kneel at my bed, then I'm going to be a good Christian. No. It is to permeate every detail of our life. Why is it that we are put to shame by folks who bow to, to and worship a false god? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is not honored when we keep our mouth shut. Do we need a scriptural example of the faith and practice of Christians becoming a total lifestyle? Acts 2.38-47 Peter is preaching and as uh, at the end of his message, folks were touched to the heart and they said, okay, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Is that applicable or what? Is there any question that outside these church doors we face a corrupt generation? And why is it that we look so much like the world? Going on, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. If we are obedient, the Lord will deal with the results. And fourthly, we have minimal understanding of total sacrifice. We hear today of people on the other side of the world who make a total sacrifice. The closest thing to us is when our military goes and gives their life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Note, we are asked, taught to give everything but as a living sacrifice. Sure, we may die, but that's only temporary. We are asked to live for Him. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Here it is again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. This is true repentance. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lifestyle Christianity is a total sacrifice. I am not my own. It is Christ who lives in me. And then the Scripture again. With many other words He warned them and He pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And they devoted themselves. And I believe Scripture is clear. Much of that devotion took place in a home, in a small group, doing life together under the teaching and direction of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, this is no small thing. We don't look disparagingly at a Bible study, but this is not another Bible study. As we learned last week, you don't ask us just to study so we can memorize the answer. We are asked to live it to live it to such an extent that the world cannot help but see it. And then if the Lord deems it His will, perhaps thousands will come. But that's not our concern. Ours is to be obedient. We are in awe of You. We need Your direction. We give You thanks in Jesus' name. Today we offer you another opportunity to become part of a life group. Uh, there are various tables. And Chris, correct me if I'm not saying the right thing. You can come on up, but uh, various tables. You can visit with life group leaders, and we'll have some of them up here in just a moment. Sign up if you feel that God is leading you. I haven't asked Chris this, but I'm going to offer two more Avenues to becoming a part of a life group. First, ask yourself, is God leading you and a group of other folks, singles, young adults, married couples, with or without children, grandpas and grandmas? You may be divorced. However, God seems to be bringing you together. Go to this man right here. Talk to him about what you are sensing as a group of people You'll discuss leadership and other ramifications and that step of faith that it'll take for you to move in to a group that's doing life together. Or one other option, if it's a little ominous for you to walk up to a table and say, I'd like to sign up, go again to Chris's office, second floor, that in. Call him on the phone. Have a chat with him. Ask him to pray with you and help you find Others with whom he feels God may be joining together. We're ready for our life group leaders to. We could have um, our life group leaders uh, come up here on stage um, and <clears throat> as they begin to make their way up. Just a couple uh, quick, uh, just to add to that. If uh, we have uh, we have ten life groups that are launching and. Um, seven of them are are currently um, at max capacity, so there are three three tables uh, set up, three life groups that are open right now. And uh, tell you that just so you uh, please be patient with us. Um, we do have a process where we're wanting to train our leaders, and we're wanting to uh, we're praying that from even from these groups um, that 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 groups will launch out from here. So if if um, if it ends up being that all the life groups are full, I mean, please feel free to contact me, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to. Um, to get you connected. And um, with that, I just also wanted to say um, I was uh, had a very encouraging talk with uh, 
with Max out in the hallway and I just began thinking about, uh, as I was sitting here listening to John, just that out aspect. And he had informed me that the Guatemala mission had raised $84,000. And uh, it's just, just a picture of that out dynamic of Christians coming together. And, you know, when we unite and when we are committed to, like, this call to make disciples locally, like, like um, internationally, just everywhere, you know, just, just having a heart for, for all nations. Um, man, we, we, being led by the Spirit, God can do amazing things. Amen. And Amen. it's a prayer that we would see that in our city, too. And, of course, you know, to the ends of the earth and uh, that we would uh, corporately, like the call to make disciples would be the very thing that drove all of us as believers. Um, but with that, I'm gonna, these are all of our life group leaders. And uh, um, I'm going to hand this uh, commissioning prayer over to, to John and uh, lead us in that. Thank you, Chris. Come on in a little tighter here. One of the reasons we have all these people up here is for you to see they're normal people. They do have all the answers. <laughs> they're normal people. We're looking for normal people to join us. So uh, this is an ominous opportunity and responsibility. And God is going to do amazing things. So let's pray. God, this feels like we're joining you in your work. We know that this is not something we've dreamed up, trumped up. We have this master plan, graphs and goals and all kinds of things. No, Lord, we just know this needs to be done. We need to be obedient. We know that your people need to be in close fellowship with other believers. Young, old, in-between, experienced, new Christians, people with problems, people with joys to share. Lord, we ask your blessing over every leader, every couple up front here, We know that as we move into this, they are going to experience challenges they may not have ever experienced. But we are not left alone. We have your Holy Spirit. And into these life groups, you are bringing other people, quality people, with gifts they may not even know they have. You will also be bringing hurting people who have not realized before that there's a place they can bring their burden. And together in their group, they will lay burdens, joys at your feet. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.